thank you for tuning into the Short Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. But first, library news. So we have a few different events coming up. Um, we have Family Fun Night to Go happening on Tuesday, March 9th. We have Rhyme Time Tuesday that morning at 9 a.m., which is a virtual event with Miss Heidi online. We have Art Cart to Go on Wednesday, March 10th, as well as Wednesday, March 17th. And we have Storytime online on Thursday, March 18th at 9 a.m. with Miss Heidi. And then we also have the AM Book Club on that day at 11 a.m. with Haley. And the book is called The Long Haul, A Trucker's Tales of Life on the Road by Finn Murphy. And it covers Finn Murphy's voyages. Uh, looks like he, was, he dropped out of college to become a long haul trucker. And then he covered over a million miles packing, loading, and hauling people's belongings all over America. Uh, so it sounds pretty interesting. Uh, and then on March 19th, we have our next grown-up take-and-make kit. Angie, our administrative assistant, has been putting those together, and she's been doing an awesome job. And she's going to be doing Shachiko, which is a Japanese type of embroidery, uh, where you use like a light-colored thread on a dark piece of fabric. Mm -hmm. um, and that is where your jeans went to, because she asked the people to donate denim. So. <laughs> and I've got plenty of denim. Yes. Lots of, lots of denim to donate. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then beyond that, uh, the only other thing that we have to mention is, uh, as many of you have probably heard, there's been some controversy about Dr. Seuss's work. Miss Heidi has written a blog post called The Two Sides of Dr. Seuss, explaining what's going on, because we've had a lot of questions at the library since you know we carry his materials, and we usually have the, the big Seuss celebration every year. Um, we've had a lot of questions as to what what exactly is going on and what we're planning on doing and so she addresses that and there she addresses what his contributions have been to children's literature uh you know we we all have favorites of his you know whether it's niches or whatever but you know also the the books that you know have racist material and how that stuff is also very real and and, and what that means to to children so yeah it's worth a read and if you have any questions um you can always talk to us librarians so speaking of looking at the world through a new lens Let's get to From the Stacks. Captain's Log, Stardate 03052021. Two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple weeks ago when we told you that we were going to talk about Ready Player Two, we also told you we were going to talk about Star Trek Discovery. And when we recorded our Ready Player Two, we started talking about Star Trek Discovery on there, but we discovered uh, <laughs> that our podcast episode would be like, over an hour long and we did not want to put you through that yeah we we we, we went, went on some tangents <laughs> some tangents so this episode is just dedicated to seasons one and two of star trek discovery um we will try not to go on too many tangents um this may be our second time recording this because we may have already gone on some tangents but we'll try it's hard when you're like a fan because i i have been watching star trek since i was six years old and you know started with the original series and watched Deep Space Nine and Next Generation and Voyager and, and only recently, you know, started watching again with some of these new series. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Discovery. Okay. Um, so why don't you break break down simply the general premise of Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> I will do my best. Every time you've asked me to do this, I have not done well. Uh, okay, I will do it. No, 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 no. All I, right. I'm going to try. Okay. So Star Trek Discovery is a show that takes place slightly before the original series, but in that same time frame. Um, and so it is 
like at, during the same time as when the Enterprise exists, but Kirk is not captain yet. So it's the story of Michael Burnham, and Michael Burnham, she is played by Sonequa Martin-Green, and she is the first officer of a ship, and her captain is played by Michelle Yeoh, and she commits mutiny on her ship, and she ends up going to prison, and after she ends up going to prison, this other captain comes along of this ship called the Discovery, and the Discovery is the science vessel, and he wants Michael Burnham on his ship, um, even though she is in prison, but he gets special privileges because he's captain of this very special ship, and it's a ship that is different than all the ships that have existed before in, in the world of Star Trek. And so he, uh, he gets to bring her on board um, for a project. And, you know, as you can imagine, a lot of people are just like, what is Michael Burnham doing here? Michael Burnham is a traitor. Michael Burnham committed mutiny. Why is she, why is she here? Um, but, you know, she ends up integrating herself into her new environment, and the story follows her story, basically. Um, and along the way, we learn that she is Spock's adopted sister. So this is kind of like an alternate you know, Star Trek, because in the original Star Trek, we never heard about Spock having a sister. Yep. But, um, so in this story, Michael Burnham's parents were killed by the Klingons, and the Klingons um, are at war with the Federation, and that is why Mar Michael Burnham w went to prison, because she mutinied in order to attack the Klingons, because she had this visceral reaction because they killed her parents. Um, and when her parents were killed, she was adopted by Spock's parents, so um, his dad and his his mom and, and this. If you are a Star Trek fan, you probably know that Spock is half Vulcan, half human, and so she just Vulcan dad and uh, human mom. Human yeah. mom. And so both of them are, are raised by his parents, and they have a kind of a fraught relationship. Um, and they both end up joining the Federation, as we know, because Spock eventually becomes an officer, and, and she becomes uh, Michael becomes an officer as well. Um, but they end up on different ships, and in the world that we see them in, in the time period that we see them in, they're kind of, they have this, um, they haven't talked to each other in years, and they're not exactly friendly with each other. Um, but then he disappears, and she has to try to find him. Um, and that's kind of, that. that's more what happens in the second season. The first yep. season is kind of setting everything up and setting up the characters. Um, it's a very different feel than the other Star Trek series, because, like, the Star Trek series that I recall watching growing up weren't quite so dramatic. Um, this show is very dramatic. Um, it's very, very like Game of Thrones in space. Like lots mm -hmm. of explosions, lots of like backstabbing, lots of subterfuge, and lots of overly dramatic, you know, events. Though, it has some really cool things because it is the first Star Trek show that I have ever seen that features a queer couple, and Michael Burnham is a black woman, um, and she is the main character of the show, which I think is really awesome. Um, and Michelle Yeoh is an Asian woman, and she is also a featured character on the show. Um, and also the fact that, I love the fact that one member of the queer couple is Ricky from My So-Called Life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what his name is in real life, but he's a, he plays a doctor on the show. Yeah. Anyway, I can tell that you're like, wanting to talk so say what you need to say <laughs> well i i was try i was trying to set you up so that we could both talk about the things that we loved about the show and the things that we didn't like about the okay. show that's fine yeah we I'm, I'm pretty 
pleased how we're going so far. I've managed to keep my summary. <laughs> we're, we're still in good you're, time you're, here. You're, 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 opening explanation of the show this time was very concise. There we go. Okay, I did not ramble for too long. No. But <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, what did you enjoy about the show? What did you not? Well, let's let's, let's start like we do when, when we play our, our RPG with, with our friend Jeb, you know, we do you know, do our stars and wishes. Mm -hmm. So let's start with our stars, which are things we, we liked about the show, and then we'll do our wishes, which are things that we did not like about the show that maybe we wish had been different. Okay. So... <laughs> Uh, as far as uh, my stars, mm -hmm. um, like Lisa mentioned, um, I think that um, the casting of Sunita uh, Martin as Michael Burnham was a fantastic choice. All all of the the actors on the show are great. Mm -hmm. um, I, I and I think all of the characters are very compelling characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that. As far as as far as the budget that was used for the show, um, it is you know a, a very as as a point of reference. Like I love a lot of Joss Whedon's shows, like Firefly and, mm -hmm. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and what have you. But those are on a very different budget. Mm -hmm. um, and for sci-fi, you know, yep. bigger budget means more. More to work with. Yeah, because a lot of Joss Whedon shows end up being like super campy because they're on such low budgets. Exactly, and so there isn't that level of camp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I love love the characters, and I I, I love they as as Lisa mentioned, they pulled in some some very interesting dynamics mm -hmm. um, with the uh, um, the queer couple. But yeah, I, I I think all of those things about the show are great. Mm -hmm. um, I will save more of my thoughts. For wishes tell me about the things that you love about the show all right so my stars um so as i mentioned there were a bunch of things that i liked about the show that i already mentioned um but there were also other things that i liked about the show like i really like the character saru and saru is the first officer on the discovery and he is a kelpian which is a species that i don't think had ever been introduced on star trek before and his species is a species that has been hunted for generations, and so they have these ganglia on their neck that alert them to danger. And he's a very different character than um, characters that you encounter on other shows. Um, and I've always enjoyed that about the Star Trek universe, um, whether it was Otto or Data or you know characters like that who just showed you a whole different perspective on the world. You know, because Otto like shapeshifts and is able to was kind of a loner because they. As, if I recall correctly, Otto doesn't have like any other people of his kind on mm -hmm. his ship, and Saru is also like that. He doesn't have any other any other people of his kind on his ship, and um, you know it kind of explores that loneliness and that those feelings of of being different, but also how their it also explores how their perspectives add to the ship and add to the crew, um, and I've always really enjoyed that about Star Trek. Um, because it just always affected me on a personal level. Yeah, there, there's something about about all of those characters that in a setting where there's all sorts of different types of aliens, there's that one character that they they kind of zoom in on mm -hmm. that just feels truly alien. Yeah, like or like the original one was Spock, yeah. like Leonard Nimoy. I absolutely love Leonard Nimoy. He is one of my favorite characters of any fictional universe. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is because I could relate to him as a kid because I'm, a, I, I'm you know, also, like, he's 
half human, half Vulcan, you know, like I'm half Mexican, half German American. So like, <laughs> and I, I, I was like, Spock, I get you. <laughs> somebody should somebody should put that on a shirt. Spock, I get you. <laughs> um, and it was it was cool seeing you know myself or some somebody similar to myself, though completely alien, honestly, because he's Spock. Um, you know, I don't have pointy ears and don't only speak in rational terms. Yes. <laughs> um, but. You know, it was cool seeing a mirror um, in a character on, on TV when I was a kid. And so, so yeah, that, that, that is like one of my biggest stars is the characters. And um, some of the, the visuals of the show are also some of my stars. Like the episode where they go to Saru's homeworld. I really like that episode. And some of the visuals with the spore drive, because in this, in this iteration of Star Trek, Discovery is special because it has a spore drive that allows it to travel between dimensions and time and you know that super speeds and it, yeah. it just yeah as, as, as essentially um, the idea is that there are spores that permeate everywhere in the universe and by being able to follow the threads of these spores you can go both through time and to alternate dimensions mm -hmm. um, you know the basis for that science I haven't looked it up <laughs> um, but I am guessing that it is not correct. Yeah, well, not all Star Trek <laughs> science is correct. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it, it was a way to uh, a uh, a way to move the story into even new frontiers beyond uh, the the vast expanse of space. Yeah, and I think it helps explain too, because like I said, Spock is on this show, and and Spock is is. Michael Burnham's adopted brother and you know this the Spock on this show is very different than the Spock that I grew up with he's very different than Leonard Nimoy he's very emotional he's very angry he's he's just not the Spock that I know that's okay um but he you know I think part of what makes the story a little bit more believable as you go along at first I was like I don't like this but then um as you go along part of what makes the story more believable is the fact that they have this spore drive, and so the spore drive allows them to travel between different dimensions. So it's like, okay, well, maybe this is a different dimension where Spock is this more emotional character rather than the character that we know played by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like the uh, uh, Into the Spider Verse uh, type. In, yeah. In in comic books, there are alternate stories of like. Spider-Man is not just Peter Parker. Yeah, because there's the multiverse. Yes. So you've got different dimensions. You've got that Spider-Pig guy. You've got... <laughs> I don't know what his real name is. I know he's a pig and he's got the Spider-Man outfit on. Yeah. Um, you've got Spider-Pig guy. You've got uh, Miles Morales. You've got uh, Gwen oh, Stacy. You've got... Oh, I can't remember who some of the other ones are, but you've got a, you've got a, all these different spider people who and and different spider verses. Like one of them got bitten by a radioactive spider. One of them, you know, like got like some other became a spider some other way, and like it's yeah, and, and, and sometimes it's different types of spiders or yeah. whatever. I and, don't know. and they and they have different uh, different powers too as as a result. Yeah. Because it's it all depended on who was writing that particular character Iter yeah. iteration, iteration of, of Spider-Man. Spider yeah. And or so, Spider-Woman or Spider-Girl or yeah. Spider-Person. Yes. <laughs> Spider-Pig. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it felt it definitely feels like they're taking that kind of approach with this iteration of Star Trek. Yes. 
All right. So, any other stars that you want to that you want to share? Um, you had mentioned Saru, and I just want to say that Saru also was a favorite character of mine at the start of the show. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's 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 dive into the wishes. Wishes. Okay. So wishes. Um, I wish that the writing had been better. Uh, this show is very dramatic, and if you like a lot of drama, which I I do like drama. It, uh, it just wasn't what I was expecting, because normally in Star Trek, I feel like the shows are more episodical, where each episode, you know, covers a new world, and they're, they're discovering these things. Or if they're not episodical, like in Deep Space Nine, where they're following a storyline of something that's happening on the ship, they tend to not be quite as dramatic. This felt like Game of Thrones in space. Um, lots of explosions, lots of subterfuge, lots of backstabbing, lots of weird dealings going on, um, lots of war, lots of sex. Um, it was just there, there. There are episodes. There's there's at least one episode. I think multiple episodes where literally the entire forty five minutes or hour, everybody is running and yelling the entire time. Also, I know this is like such a dweeb thing to say, but like it was so weird for me to hear people saying the f word on Star Trek because the sto- the show was not made for cable, but it was made for like the paid version of. CBS or NBC, whatever network it's on, so it's not like on network TV, it's on the network TV's paid subscription site, and so yeah, periodically you'll hear curse words dropped, and I, it just... Yeah, I don't remember the F word being there, but but there's, it's definitely more adult in content than the classic uh, yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, there there's a lot of swearing, and I was just like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so that was... That, you know, and that's my personal thing because I, I was hoping for something that felt more like the original stuff. I did, I wasn't, you know, thinking it was going to be this. So it, was, it kind of threw me for a loop. Um, and then the other thing that I, that I wished had been different was how some of the different alien races were portrayed. So the Klingons um, are portrayed as very warlike, which they are in the normal Star Trek. Um, but it was weird because they made, like, the angry warlike Klingons be like all the dark-skinned Klingons and then like the Klingons that are trying to help the Federation in this show are like albino Klingons which I was like why did they make that decision that's just real weird um and um yeah and there was just some you know I think they were trying to be progressive with the casting of the show because they have such a diverse cast in terms of you know like I said they got queer people they got you know a black protagonist they've got you know um, one of the characters is played by a Arab American. Like you know, they've got people from all these different backgrounds. But then, like the writing of the show, for some reason, these like two albino Klingons are like the good quote unquote Klingons, and then all other Klingons are the bad Klingons. And yeah. I was just like, what? This is weird. Yeah, I, I I I will note that one of the the two light skinned Klingons is like. A horrible like torturer and but but did want to work with the Federation yeah so and that was another thing that I wish had not necessarily been on the show which was um, the show ends up using this one character um, he ends up containing both his own self as well as another character because his body is fused with this other character's being um, similar to, um, I can't remember what her name was on 
Deep Space Nine, but not the same because it, it, that was part of her culture and what they did. Like you know, oh, you, yes. you switched into the person's body, like when you died, and, and then that person carried your soul as well as their own soul. Um, and so it's kind of like that, um, but in this it was like a forced thing, and it was implied that this one pale-skinned Klingon like raped and tortured this human man in order to convert him into this other like part Klingon person and it just that whole that whole part of the story I just found icky yeah she she was she was trying to preserve um her Klingon lover in the body of a human human um there was you know machinations at play um that uh that uh it's a it's a very involved story, and you know, I think they were trying to go for an ex, an exploration of trauma and also f- flip the paradigm of of assault. Yeah, because it was a woman assaulting a man, whether rather than the other way around. But, but, but it just it just still just felt unnecessary, and it, I don't feel like it it added to the story. Yeah, it, I, I I feel like it kind of missed the mark. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, they 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 definitely were trying to like cram a lot of different concepts into the story mm-hmm. um, and and go for for some dramatic shifts um, but yeah what are your wishes my wishes so if we were to rewind all the way back to the very first uh, podcast uh, the first Shorewood stacks uh, I talked about a book called Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that, like the, the the primary focus of that book, was this idea that um, there hasn't really been a serious exploration of the idea of utopia since the Renaissance, mm-hmm. and so there is kind of a failing in our culture in that we focus on dystopian thinking as opposed to utopian thinking, mm-hmm. and it got me to thinking about Star Trek and how Star Trek was this in the classic Star Trek, unlike Star Wars, which is this sweeping space opera mm-hmm. um, with war and drama, melodrama and, you know, what have you, Star Trek was this story of diplomacy and exploration and was, you know, kind of like the the thinking person sci-fi in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just, you know, fluff entertainment. And... Um, yeah, and the, the, the whole point of the Federation wasn't to... You know, colonize or to destroy civilizations, but rather just to learn more about people who are different than them, and just to explore the world and, and find what was out there. Yeah, and, and like Gene Gene Roddenberry, I, I think you know it was it was about um, yeah the the idea of of exploring other cultures and learning from them, mm-hmm. and um, in concept, that's a that's a beautiful concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I think that in some of the more recent iterations of Star Trek, because of the fact that you know we now have these fantastic budgets um, for sci-fi, and you've you know there's the the action blockbuster that that people love and and look forward to. J.J. Um, uh, Abrams, you know, turned the Star Trek movie fan franchise into these you know big explosions, mm-hmm. lots of yelling, lots of drama. And Star Trek Discovery is a show that is in the J.J. Abrams school of thought, 
as opposed to the Gene Roddenberry school of thought. Yeah, like thinking about what you just said, like, I know one thing that I really liked about the original Star Trek and the Star Treks, even though, you know, people had ranks and, and, you know, like lieutenant and captain and things like that, I never really thought about them as military shows, Mm -hmm. but I felt like with the J.J. Abrams movies and with the current, you know, like Discovery, I felt like they they feel much more like a military thing where, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're more about war, they're more about how the military works and, you know, because in, in this show Discovery, there's the Federation, but then there's also, like, a dark part of the Federation that does, like, you know, undercover ops and, and you know, and things like that, which is not something that, like, had ever been a part of the Star Trek yeah. universe before, so it was weird because what I liked about it in the past was the fact that it wasn't, even though they had these rankings, it wasn't this super militaristic universe. Yeah. Yeah, and so so with what Lisa just mentioned, that was my other complaint, is as soon as they brought in the idea of of this, like, shadow organization within the Federation that was, you know, performing all these machinations behind the scene, behind the scenes, it went from being this utopian vision of the future um, with a little bit of, of war and the drama that comes with that to being this very kind of dystopian. Mm-hmm. And I love dystopias. I, I live and breathe dystopian. Oh, yeah. You know, we both love dystopias. Mad Max, man. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> but uh, for some reason, it, you know, uh, pulling that into, into my Star Trek, it just felt wrong. You know, it, it would be like, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think what would go awful in chocolate. Everything goes good in chocolate. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong. Yeah, I, it's just wrong for me. I know because yeah. it's like when I think about it, you know, I know being a comic book fan that some people think that when a character is changes from say Spider Man to Spider Woman, then they're like that's wrong, you yeah. know. And I don't think it's wrong. Yeah, I think it's fine that Star Trek Discovery exists. I think that it has a lot of merits in terms of characters. Um, personally, I just don't like the militaristic aspects of it or the like Games of Thronesiness about it. Um, I uh, I was hoping for something different. I was yeah. hoping for something more like the Star Trek that I that I grew up with. And it's okay that it's not that. It doesn't have to be that. Um, and it's okay that you know other people like it. I know yeah. some people love it. You know, um, the, the thing that I was gonna say is back to my my chocolate analogy uh-huh. is that ultimately you know if star trek is chocolate chocolate is generally always still good <laughs> you know it's just a matter is this is this my favorite chocolate is this chocolate and peanut butter or chocolate and, and cherry yeah those are some of my favorites in this case um you know they they pull in pull in elements that i'm like oh you know you like chocolate and pineapple? You hate pineapple. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so if it was chocolate and pineapple, um, it's like it would make the pineapple palatable, but at the same time, um, you know, it's not going to be like if I had to choose between the two on, on the shelf, I'm, I'm still going to choose chocolate and cherry. Um, but yeah, so Star Trek, I mean, we watched two full... Yeah, we watched two full seasons. Two full and seasons. And I'm, I'm mildly curious about the third season. I don't even know exactly where they were going to take it. Um, I think before we we try the third season, I want to try Picard. Yeah. Um, I'm I've really been curious about Picard. I also really want to try Enterprise because um, I have not watched Enterprise and I love Scott Bakula. 
um, ever since he was on Quantum Leap. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna give those shows a try. Maybe those will be more in my more in my uh, wheelhouse, my interests. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this. I mean, I think, like I said, and like we we both said, you know, there were this show definitely had some awesome elements to it, but it also definitely had some things that you know we wish were different. But that's okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, and and um, if you like the idea of Star Trek with explosions and melodrama, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the key thing that I think is the thing that Lisa and I both really took away from it is the fact that there's really interesting and compelling characters, and the casting for those characters was great. Yeah, that's our Star Trek Discovery talk uh, with Ready Player Two. It was kind of fun because we were listening to that, and he's talking about Star Trek. And if you don't know, Will Wheaton was Wesley Crusher, Dr. Crusher's son, on Star Trek The Next Generation. And so hearing him talk about red shirts and hearing him talk about The Next Generation was just pretty cool. And so that's why we tried to combine the two episodes together, but then we were like, this is way too long, and people are going to never listen to us again. <laughs> yeah. That, and that, actually, that was one thing that, for me, was was great with, with uh, particularly, I think it was season two of Discovery, is that in season two, they encounter, because of Spock and, and other things going on, they encounter the Enterprise crew, and the Enterprise crew are wearing a slightly updated version of the uniforms that they wore in the classic. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that just made me smile. It just made me happy. Uh, I, I, you know, they, they ended up like switching back and forth between the uniforms, and they even like had like an in-joke about the uniforms, but for some reason, seeing the classic uniforms, um, it was a fun choice, and that was something that, that made me smile. Yeah, no, it made me smile too, because when they go on the Enterprise at one point, the sounds of the Enterprise were the sounds of the Enterprise. Like, the Discovery does not sound like the Enterprise. You don't hear the weird little whistling that... Like, you know know what I'm talking about, the, like, really high-pitched whistle that... Uh, When the doors open and close. When the doors open and close. But when they go on the Enterprise, the ship makes those sounds. And, um, you know, when they're also the captain of the Enterprise, some of his humor is very Kirk-like. And so, you know, you kind of are like, oh, this is where Kirk is supposed to have gotten his humor because I think it's uh, Christopher Pike is the captain of the Enterprise. And so he's supposed to be the person who was the captain right before Kirk became captain of the Enterprise. And so, you know, you kind of are like, oh, this this is who Kirk learned his ways from. Yep. Um, and he, he has a very uh, William Shatner-esque-ness about him yep. in terms of how he talks to the ladies and... and not, not quite as smarmy. Not, not quite as smarmy, no. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just his look, his, uh, his jokes. Yeah. He's got kind of a William Shatner vibe. Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah... Uh, Overall, if if you're into the Trek, give it a go. Yeah, we've got seasons one and two on DVD at the library, and I think we might even have season three now. I I don't know if it's in. um, We also have Picard, and we have some of the other series, and if we don't have them at our library, I know that they exist somewhere within the Milwaukee County Federal Library System, so you can always order them from another library. So yeah, next week, uh, Nick and I, or next episode, is going to be us doing a genre dive. Um, So... I have asked Nick to read a mystery written by either a person of color or by a woman featuring a female protagonist, and he has asked me to listen to some trip-hop albums and look into trip-hop a little more. So 
Uh, we'll see. We might be covering both in an episode, or we might split them into two episodes, depending on how much we have to say about each thing. Yeah. Um, but that's what you get to look forward to. We would love to hear your opinions on Star Trek Discovery. So if you have your thoughts, send them our way. Yeah. Uh, you can email us at shortstacks at gmail.com. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, or iTunes, and you can also post comments on the Podbean app if you ever have comments. Uh, we would love to hear what you think of the show or if you have any suggestions for the show. As always, thank you for listening and be well. The Short Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Short Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod and is called ISO. The song can be found at incompetech.com.